Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to talk about a subject that probably makes people as uncomfortable, not as uncomfortable as giving, but makes people feel guilty. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. And now we ask you to teach us. Teach us about prayer. Forgive us for the lack of it. Help us to grow there. Pray that people would would understand what a privilege it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A young man went into a drugstore to buy three boxes of chocolate. The pharmacist asked him what size he wanted. He said, I want a small, medium, and a large. He said, I've got a real important date tonight. I've been dating a beautiful girl, and I want the chocolate because I think tonight's the night. We're having dinner with her parents, and then we're going out. If she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the small box. If she lets me kiss her on the cheek, I'm going to give her the medium box. If she lets me kiss her on the lips, I'm going to give her the big box. That young man makes his purchase and leaves. Later that evening, he sits down to dinner with his girlfriend and her parents, and he asks if he can ask the blessing over the meal. Of course, they agree, and he begins to pray, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays for about five minutes. That's a long prayer, especially for a meal. After he said amen, the girl leans over and says, you never told me that you were such a religious person. He leaned over and said, you never told me that your dad was the pharmacist. (laughs) I'm not sure prayer got him out of that one. I read this week, it said, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in public schools. We're going to talk about prayer for a moment, the believer's prayer life. F.B. Meyer wrote a book entitled The Secret of Guidance, and he said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Prayer is not something that comes natural, like breathing or eating or walking or talking. It seems to have become, in most people's life, like that little glass-covered box out there in the hallway that says, break this in case of an emergency. A lot of people associate prayer with just crises in their life. So let me ask you this this morning. How is your prayer life? 
Well, I would imagine the answers would go something like, well, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Depends on the circumstances. There are days when my prayer life seems to touch heaven. Then there are days it doesn't reach the ceiling. You ever feel that way? Did you know there are over 14, there are almost 1,400 verses in the Bible that speak about prayer? So if there's that many verses that either contain prayers or speak about it, it must be pretty important. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in the Lord, you're going to have to grow in this area of your life. Paul was somebody who understood it. He understood the power of prayer. It was a part of his life, and he took for granted that it was a part of every Christian's life. You cannot grow in the Lord. You cannot be strong in the Lord and not ever talk to him. Just like if you have a marriage, you don't ever go without talking to your spouse. Now, you can be a Christian and not pray, just like you can be married and not ever talk to your spouse, but you're going to be miserable in both of those situations. Prayer is the pipeline of communication between God and his people, between God and those who love him. Some people say, well, I just can't do it. I just can't pray. Let me, let me give you some good news. If you can talk to other people, you can pray. You really can. There's no special voice. You don't have to deep, have a deep voice to pray to God. There's no special manner of speech. You don't have to use the king's English, bless thy servant today. You don't talk like that. You don't have to have any certain words that must be spoken in prayer. You just talk to God, plain and simple. He understands West Texas English. And as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you grow in understanding of God, you're going to find that your prayers are going to change. When you were a child, you were asked to pray, you thank God for the trees and the birds and the flowers and the sun and the new day. But as you grow older and you begin to understand more about God and who he is and what he has done for you to to save a filthy, rotten sinner like you and me, then your prayers begin to change when they talk to God. I want to encourage you a little bit today because I'm also going to tell you that no one in here is the perfect prayer. Prayer. Nobody has a, we're all still learning. And if you're like me, you're still learning. And I, I've come to some conclusions that I think have changed my attitude about it. And I'll share that in just a moment. But I want you to notice that Paul, he begins to talking about prayer. He mentions what I'm going to call your attention to several elements of prayer as God's child. I want to tell you what the easiest thing about prayer is. The easiest thing to do in prayer. Do you know what it is? Quit. Quitting. That's the easiest thing to do in prayer. People get started and they quit. And there's a reason for that, because it's not natural to us. Now, Paul knew that even the people in the New Testament times had a tendency to want to quit. And how many times have you made a promise, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to pray more, and you quit? Or you say to somebody, I'm going to be praying for you, and you quit? It's easy. It's easy to quit. That's why he begins by mentioning persistence. 
or steadfastness. You'll notice the first element, persistence. Devote yourselves to prayer or continue earnestly in prayer. The original language says continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, it means to persist, to grab hold of and adhere to firmly or to remain devoted to. It means to not let go. The idea is that of dedication. Of the 10 times that word is used in the New Testament, four of them, the word devoted or continue steadfastly, four times it is related to prayer. And here it is given as a command. It's not if you feel like it or if you're in a trouble. He said continue, grab hold of it and stay with it. Don't quit. There's two parables at least two parables in the Gospels where Jesus reiterated this one thing in Luke chapter 18 and in Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 18, I'm not going to go read the parable to you, but it, there was a woman who needed something. He used it as a parable. She went to the king, and the king kind of sloughed her off, and he, she kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. She was persistent, and finally the king said, all right, give her what she wants. Now, that's a real loose paraphrase of that, but I wanted you to see. But in that very parable, Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, now, now or it was recorded about Jesus, now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And then in Luke chapter 9, you find Jesus speaks the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. And each of those verbs are in the present tense, active voice, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus said, don't Quit. Don't give up. Persist in prayer. George Mueller was known as one of the greatest prayer warriors of all times. He had to say this about persistence in prayer. Listen to what he says. It is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word and prayer when our enjoyment is gone, as if it were of no use to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them, as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I would dare say that most everyone in here has prayed a prayer of, to God asking him for something and he didn't do it. At least not right immediately. Now how come? Shouldn't God be the cosmic genie? We just rub the bottle, he comes out and we ask him what he wants and he grants our wish and goes back in the bottle. Isn't that what prayer is? No. But so how come God, and you're able, and you're a good God, and I ask you for something, why don't you do it right then? Why do I have to keep asking? Now don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever felt that way. Because you would be lying. I think there's several reasons. First of all, we, we, we tend to be presumptuous. 
We tend to think, you know, if I ask God for it, he ought to give it. He's able. He ought to give it right then the way I ask it and the time I ask it and the way I ask it. I think another reason we're to be persistent because being persistent brings a sense of dependence on God. Do you need God? Six of you do. In the book, Too Busy Not to Pray, it says prayer is an unnatural activity. From birth, we have been learning the rules of self-reliance as we strain and struggle to achieve self-sufficiency. Prayer flies in the face of those deep-seated values. It's an assault on human autonomy, an indictment of independent living. To people in the fast lane determined to make it on their own, prayer is an embarrassing interruption. In other words, when I pray and I keep on praying, I'm saying to God, I need you. And pretty much we're self-sufficient. I mean, we kind of pride ourselves in not having to depend on anyone else. Have you ever tried to help somebody who needed help, but they didn't think they needed help? You know how frustrating that is? They're just, I call it just being purely hard-headed. They've been self-sufficient all their life, and now instead of letting somebody help them, they're going to show that they're self-sufficient. Well, when we don't pray... We do that, but we keep coming back. It reminds us that we need the Lord. We need God. When I keep asking, I know I need him. It's not a sign that you've lost your manhood or your womanhood. You need him. Praying persistently also puts us in a frame of mind to receive what it is that God desires us to have. Let me ask you this. Are my parents the only parents on earth that didn't give me everything I asked for? (laughs) You that are parents, you didn't give everything to your child. If you did, they're rotten as they can be today. That's what you wait for. Grandchildren, you do that to grandchildren. You give them everything they ask for. They can at grandparents' house, right? As you continually... Ask God and seek God. He begins to prepare prepare your heart for the answer. It also, persistence also helps us weed out improper petitions. I I may ask for something one day, and then as I keep asking and keep asking, I keep saying, you know, Lord, that wasn't a very good ask to begin with. I need to refine that a little bit more. It, It helps me begin to see more clearly what God really wants. And being persistent in prayer also cultivates patience to teach us to wait on the Lord. But to be persistent, devoted. We're pretty persistent when it comes to food. Aren't we? You're Baptist. You're pretty persistent when it comes to eating. Pretty persistent when it comes to Leisure activities or golf or football or baseball or fishing, whatever. We're pretty persistent when it comes to things we want to do. Paul said, be devoted to praying. He said, not only be persistent, but be alert. Be vigilant. The word means to stay awake. Stay awake. 
I encourage you to be vigilant when you come to church. <laughs> to stay awake. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get distracted when you pray? I mean, you, you bow your heads and you close your eyes and as soon as you do, the phone rings or some music distracts you or you remember you got something in the oven or you, it's just, it's like Satan's arsenal comes out when you begin to pray. It's so easily to be distracted. It's frustrating. Or, or you say, you know what? I've never done this, but I'm gonna pray for an hour. I don't recommend you starting that. So you're going to pray for an hour. You get down on your knees. You pray for every person that you can think of. You, the members of your family, your friends, the leaders of your church, the missionaries you know, the missionaries you don't know. You pray for every name, for every person in every country of the world, or at least it seems that way. And then you look up and it's been five minutes. <laughs> Have you ever asked this question? The little boy asked a question. It's a good question. If God is in heaven, then why do we bow our heads and close our eyes when we pray? Why? To keep us from being distracted. That's the only reason in the Old Testament it was not uncommon for them to stand, raise up their hands, and have their eyes wide open and talk to God. Those guys that you see at the Wailing Wall, when they're, you see them on the news and, they, and they're doing this, I ask them, I said, why are you doing that? They said, it helps us focus keeps us from being distracted. But that doesn't work for me. That just makes me dizzy. <laughs> but whatever it takes to not be distracted, to stay alert, to stay with it. One adult Sunday school class was discussing formal and informal prayer. One man remarked, I do some of my best praying while I'm driving. And from the back of the room, this quiet little voice, who was the man's wife, said, I do my best praying while you're driving. <laughs> To stay alert. Look at the example of Jesus. S.D. Gordon wrote a book, Quiet Talks on Prayer. He said, how much prayer meant to Jesus? It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When perplexed, he prayed. When hard-pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in the spirit, he had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning and kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer. John Piper, I've often said that one of the reasons we feel so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. Prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints, it's designed as a walkie-talkie for spiritual battlefields. It's the link between active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom. We are in a war. Prayer is the battle. It's the communication with God who's going to win. 
We don't just treat it like a rabbit's foot or some good luck charm or God, we need you. And if there was ever a time we needed to be praying in this nation, it's right now. Another element, and don't miss this one, this, this is probably the most important one, is gratitude. To pray with thankfulness. Gratitude is the, is the doorway for every spiritual blessing. Why would God give you more if you're not thankful for what you already have? He won't do it. So many scriptures, let me give you just a few, that talk about gratitude. By the way, someone has said there's only two basic prayers, and each of them one word. Help, thanks. And there's a lot of truth in that. Help me, God. Thank you, God. Ephesians 5.20 says that thanksgiving, gratitude is a natural result of being filled and walking in the Spirit of God. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything we should pray, giving thanks as we make our petitions known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, giving thanks at all times is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 17, that, believers every, that as believers, everything we say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as we give thanks to him. 1 Timothy 4, 4, food and marriage are good things given to us by God and are to be received with thanksgiving and gratitude. For some of you who hadn't got it yet, let me give you some reasons to be thankful when you pray. First of all, you can be thankful that God is actually there, alert, alive. You're talking to the living creator. He's there listening to you. You can also be thankful that God is actually listening. I want to share something with you personally. Um, I'm the firstborn in my family. Birth order, firstborn. As parents, I know this, you practice on the firstborn. You couple that with being a preacher's kid. So you grow up with lots of eyes on you. It's like living in a glass house, fishbowl. You want to please people so you know the things to do. You know the right and the wrong. And then when you come to know Jesus, you realize the grace of Christ. You realize that you can't save yourself and that the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. You ask God to forgive you of your sin. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and he saves you instantly. Amen? He washes you clean. You stand in the righteousness of God and of Jesus. But somehow in my personality... I know everything to do. I'm a pastor now. I know everything I'm supposed to be doing. 
And there's not a Sunday, not one ever passes that I'm driving on the way over here that I think, I'm not worthy to do this. If those people knew how I really was, I didn't pray enough, I didn't read my Bible enough, I didn't do this enough or whatever. And you know, after a while, you can't live up to your own expectations. So you develop this little attitude that says, you know, even though I know I'm saved and I'm loved by God, he's about half mad at me most of the time. And how that affects your prayer life is you sure don't want to go talk to somebody that's about half mad at you. Am I making sense? Until about a week ago, a little over a week ago, I was watching a movie. It's a Christian movie. And a person in there had messed up their life and so forth, but the person who played Jesus, it was in modern times, he made the statement that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just sort of punched me. Really. The person who was Jesus was telling this person that no matter how bad things had messed up and all that, that as, since they were saved, that he looked at them and then he made this statement. He said, God delights in you. Seriously? I know God loves me. But you mean he delights in me? He wants to be with me? He likes me? Now, you think, well, preacher, you must be dumb to just now figure that out. But I don't think I am. Because when you're raised in the church, you can become a, a little pharisaical in your own life thinking I've got to live this way. But when you look at and realize that God delights in you, it makes all the difference when you come to talk to him. Because now you say, Lord, I know I can't live, I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm I'm doing all I know to do, but it's never good enough in my own mind, so I'm having to keep telling myself. Because I can't live up to my own expectations. It's, it's liberating. It's liberating to know that I can come to God and he's not mad at me. You can come with gratitude. You can be thankful that God can do more than you ever ask or think. That's who you're praying to. He can do it, Ephesians 3.20. You can be thankful that God has included you in the process. You do know that God does not need us to do anything he wants to do. You know that? I know some of you think if you ever left this church, it would fold up. But not this church, but I've been in churches where there were some people that thought, man, if I ever left this church, y'all wouldn't make it. I want to say, you don't know who owns the church. 
But, but the fact is, he's allowed us. Think of our church. God has allowed us to do things around the world we never dreamed possible from Lubbock, Texas on the South Loop 289. He lets you and me be part of it. We can be grateful that he's changing us as we pray. You can be thankful for what he has done and what he will do. There was some churches in South Dakota or North Dakota years ago that couldn't afford a full-time pastor, so one, one pastor sort of rotated between the towns, and this old pastor was known for always being grateful, and the, and the parishioners in the churches would always were amazed that no matter what the circumstances were, the preacher always found a reason to thank God. And so this one particular December day, he was late getting to this church because of the snow drifts. It was blowing, it was below zero, it was cold, and each of them were thinking, well, I wonder what he's going to be grateful for today. And he walked up to the pulpit and said, let's pray. And he said, gracious Lord, we thank you that all days are not like today. <laughs> There's an incident in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah and they're under siege by the Moabites and the Ammonites. And after their prayer, seeking God's help, the prophet Jehaziel came up to them with this bizarre word of counsel. I read 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. Listen to this. Send out the choir to confront the enemy troops and have them sing these words. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. In other words, he instructs them to be thankful on the front end of the battle, knowing that God's going to have the victory. 2 Chronicles 20, 17 says, Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And he says, Send them out thanking God for all that he's done. We need to be a people of gratitude. We're pretty good at complaining and whining. We need to be people of gratitude. Now, persistence, staying awake, thankfulness. That's not hard. But then, what do you pray for? Obviously, you know how to ask God but he gives some effective prayer for God's kingdom right quick. Notice in verse three, meanwhile, praying, for, praying also for us. Paul is saying, would you please pray for us? So what are some of these elements? Spiritual leaders, for those on the front lines, praying for us. There's a word, a little Greek word in there, together. That means at the same time, Colossians, when you come together to worship, take time to pray for us. Please pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your Sunday school teacher. Pray for deacons. Pray for other leaders. I thank you for praying for me. I tell you, the, the hardest night of the week for me, my least favorite night is Saturday night. There's a battle going on. It's hard to sleep. There's a spiritual war. For all the pastors, for all the spiritual leaders, for anybody that's leading, you know what I'm talking about. 
pray for one another. And when he said, when you come together, there's something about one believer and another believer praying together makes it even stronger because you encourage one another and it gets even stronger. I can tell you all kinds of spiritual war going on this week because I think Satan knew the next few verses I was going to be covering. He's not afraid of your church attendance. Satan's not afraid of your church attendance. He's afraid of you when you're praying. (laughs) Another thing to pray for is open doors. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this in Acts 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He's not asking them to pray for his legal situation or that he would be released from prison. He's praying, he said, that God would open doors for the opportunity to share Christ. The word open door or the doors evidently is closed and God, God can open them. Doors can be closed by political reasons, for political reasons, social reasons, cultural reasons, weather related, travel related, pandemic related, however you want to know it. Doors can be closed. But a sovereign God can open them. And so we pray, God, would you open doors? When missionaries come to talk and share what's going on, one of the first things they ask you to do is to pray for them. It's not a trite phrase. They know it's the battle. They know that that God can open the doors of places where they are for the gospel to be received. Sometimes he opens up doors that you never dreamed he could open up, but God, Paul believed God was sovereign over all such circumstances. He also said pray for boldness in difficult times. He said, I'm in prison for preaching the gospel, for the mystery of Christ, for salvation. I'm being obeying God, and I'm in prison, and I'm not asking you to pray for me to get out of prison, even though I'm probably chained to a guard for 24-7. I'm just asking you to pray that God would open the doors, and then when I can present the gospel, the mystery of Christ, that you give me the boldness to do it. Maybe you need to pray for boldness at work or where you live or in your family, whatever. God, open the door, give me the boldness and when that door's open, let me know and I'll drive a truck through it. I'm ready to go. And he also said pray that there would be a clear gospel message that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, verse four says. For clarity in the gospel presentation, we need to pray for anybody who's proclaiming God's truth today that they come back to Jesus. Because without the gospel, people cannot be saved. I don't care how great a speaker somebody might be or how awesome they may be. I, I, you know, people judge people by the weirdest things, but if they don't present Jesus clearly, the gospel's not being presented. So we pray that God would open doors for a clear gospel message. You may be praying for somebody in your family that doesn't know Jesus. You're praying, God, would you not only open a door, but pray that somebody else could talk to them or you'll give me the opportunity to talk with them or that you would bring down the barriers that's keeping them from hearing the gospel or that you would allow them to be in a place where you know, they'll be listening for once and hear the gospel. Prayer 
The good news is not good news if those who hear us don't understand what we're saying. And since we're talking to prayer, let me, pr let me share with you the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. We nicknamed it the sinner's prayer because it means that you understand that you're separated from God, that you cannot save yourself. There's no hope for you. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The sinner's prayer says, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe that Jesus came, lived a sinless life. I believe he died on the cross willingly that you put my sin on him. He was the substitute, the perfect substitute, that he died and then he rose again and he conquered death and sin and paid the price. And if I trust you, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died, I believe here, but I also trust you here. I give you my life, I ask you to save me. Romans 10, 9 says that you will be saved. Amen. And if you've never received Christ, the Holy Spirit may be even leading you today. You see, you're not gonna do that on your own. Holy Spirit's already sharing with you. He's telling the truth. You need Jesus. You have sin in your life. You don't have God. You need Jesus. He's telling you the truth. You're online, you hit that connect button and somebody will help you know. If you're here in this room or you're watching this on television later, then you need to come to Christ right now through prayer. He will save you right now. And if you're like me, maybe you're in the remedial class when it comes to prayer. God actually wants to talk to you. He wants you to come. He invites you to come. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews tells us. You don't have to have an appointment. You don't have to be ashamed. You can come boldly. Now, if there's sin in your life, just say, Lord, you're right. I messed up over here. I sinned. I'm asking you to forgive me. He said, I'm gonna forgive you. Come on in, let's talk. Come on in, let's talk. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes so you won't be distracted? Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to come before you. Lord, we've made this so hard when it's really not that hard. Oh, we're not accustomed to doing it, but, but thank you that when we come to you, you really do want to see us, that you really do like us that you delight in us, just as we delight in our children, you delight in us. So Lord, thank you for the privilege. I pray for those that need to come to Christ today. They've been in church, they've heard stuff before, but they've never received Jesus. We pray that today they would come to know you. And for your brothers and for your children, the brothers and sisters in Christ in here, your children, Lord, help us to be people that pray. 
knowing that barrier is not there, that we have access to you, you tore the veil away in front of the Holy of Holies saying, come on in. Help us to come on in. I pray that people, if they're struggling like I might have been struggling, that you would liberate them today to let them know that you delight in them, that you love them, and that they don't have to be perfect to come to you to pray. We pray for those that might need a church. If this is the place you want them to come then, and be a member and be, to get plugged in, then you bring them. We pray for those that may be afraid or still struggling to be baptized. We thank you for the one today that was baptized that showed unashamedly, I'm a follower of Jesus. So Lord, during this hour, during this time, would you just please touch hearts and lives. We see you with your arms open wide, ready for us to come on in. So, Lord, we come thanking you. <laughs> You're such a good God. You're such a wonderful Heavenly Father. You are an amazing, amazing Savior. We pray that you would have victory in people's lives today. Some have been praying for something for a long time, and, Lord, they just need to be reminded you're still listening. Even though the answer hadn't come like they thought it would, you're still listening. So now, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.